You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. In the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, you can have a seat. Good morning, church. I don't understand the, the seating. You guys, the way you do seating, you notice how this happens? You can't set it up right. Everybody's going to sit over here because you want to be together, and everyone needs their spaces over here. I don't know what's going on. It's okay. We can, we can still make it happen. This morning, um, we have such incredible readings. And every year, this is probably sick and wrong of me, but every year when this Romans reading comes up, that's a, such a tongue twister, I'm always watching. Like, how is this going to go down, you know? But Laura's good. Thank you, Laura. Um, it's this and, and a few other verses that are always fun to listen to and watch. But I was paying attention. It's good. This morning, we pick up a series that we've been going through through the book of Romans um, called Christ in Us. And this week, we here, here we are in Romans 7. Paul picks up this letter uh, for us, continuing like we mentioned last week. This, And we've seen it in every week as you've looked at the book of Romans, this in the background Exodus motif that's been unfolding. Now, this whole time, what we've been talking about, what we've been exploring is how being unified with Jesus in baptism reshapes us, reforms us, changes us, what that does for our everyday lives. How being unified in the life of Christ, now think about that, being unified in the life of Jesus restores to us the goodness of God in our everyday life. That's what we've been looking at. Now, last week, we looked at Romans chapter 6, if you remember, and we talked about um, whatever you present yourself to will use you as an instrument to that end. So as, as Paul said, if you present yourself to God, you will be an instrument unto righteousness. That's what we looked at last week. This week, Paul, in kind of this tell-all moment, is like an open book, and he describes this own, his own internal battle that he has with temptation and sin, and living into this very thing that he's writing to us about. This is what he writes. Chapter 7, verse 15. I do not understand my own actions. This is, this is Paul, St. Paul. Like for so many of us, he's a champion, right? If, if anybody's got it right, Paul's got it right. He says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And when Paul writes, I do not understand my own actions, he's getting at something way stronger, I think, than just some sort of uh, intellectual confusion about observing his life and going, man, I, I really don't understand what I'm doing. He's not confused by his behavior. I think it's, maybe it's some of that, but I think it's actually much stronger, much deeper than that. It's that he so often realizes, he catches himself being caught up in unwilling sin, sins of ignorance, sins in the blind spots of his life. Man, I didn't even realize I had that blind spot. I didn't even realize some of the sin that I had been caught up in. I don't understand my own actions. The very thing I hate, I know I hate them. I hate them with my heart. Those things, in those blind spots, in those hidden ways, I, get, I find myself doing those things. What is that about? I think that's closer to what Paul means when he says, I don't understand my own actions. What Paul is describing about himself is, isn't actually just specific to Paul, right? Some of you are like, trust me, I get where he's coming from. But also, it also should remind us of Israel, right? Israel would get these revelations from God, his law, his good ways, and yet Israel, who knew better, 
who loved differently, who loved God than the rest of the world. They loved differently. They would still find themselves again and again getting caught up in the same old ruts of sin. You, know, you remember that? If you've ever read any moment in the Old Testament, anything about Israel, you're going to see that motion going on. God says, hey, don't make, for, don't make idols. And Israel goes, what, like this? You know, oops. <laughs> this is oftentimes what we find in Paul's life, apparently, in Israel's life. And I'm sure if you have a pulse, you have found it in your own life. I certainly have found it in mine. Knowing better doesn't seem to change our outcome, does it? It didn't for Israel. It didn't for Paul. I know better so many times in my life, and yet I find myself still doing the same old things that I hate. This is Paul's inner battle. Paul's and Israel's and ours as the people of God, we all parallel in this story. We have, we share in this same kind of struggle, this internal battle. We commit ourselves to righteous living after hearing some amazing sermon at church. We go, you know what? Tomorrow's going to be different. And then tomorrow comes and it's not different at all. Sometimes it even gets worse. And we think to ourselves, I've tried it all. I've done it all. I've done quiet times. I've done table groups. I've done regular attendance on Sunday. I've done confession. I've done it all. And here I am back at square one with sin. I didn't even see it coming. I knew better, I loved better, and I didn't see this coming, and it still comes up to catch me. Now, as a married man, this is super easy to come up with an illustration. You know, men, maybe if you're like real close with someone, you can relate. You walk into a room and you can look at someone's eyes, especially your wife, and you go, oh, I'm in trouble. what I do? I have no idea what I did. Michelle's super gracious. This doesn't happen very often. But sometimes, sometimes I will walk into a room and realize, oh, I messed up. What happened? I have no idea. I can't get this right. I couldn't get it right if someone handed it to me. Sometimes I feel like. Sometimes in order for us to realize the depth of our blind spots, to see the darkness in our life, we have to see something that's the opposite of it, right? For instance, you don't see darkness. You see darkness or you realize darkness when someone turns on a light, right? You perceive darkness because of its lack of light, and then the light comes on and you see it. It's kind of like you don't feel hot. You feel, or no, you don't feel cold. You feel the lack of hot is actually what that is. That's too scientific. Maybe we shouldn't do that one. Or maybe it's this. This is, I know some of you can relate. You read a book or you're taking a class, and before the class and before the book, you thought, I got this pretty good. I understand how this works. Then you read the book or you talk to that person or you take the class, and at the end of it, you go, I had, not, I had no idea how much I didn't know. I had no idea. When we are faced with the glory of God, when we see Jesus for who he really is, when we see the light that he is, it exposes all these blind spots that we had no idea how many problems we had, how broken we were. If you're sitting here this morning, for instance, I find myself in this trap all the time. Well, I don't really have a, like an outstanding sin or like I'm not that bad of a guy, you know? Like I'm okay. Things aren't so bad. The way to get at realizing how broken you really are isn't for someone to like drill it into you just how terrible you are. Like you really, you're terrible. Let me just tell you the ways. No, 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 that's not the way to get to it. The way to get to realizing our blind spots and our darkness is actually to look more at Jesus and see how wonderful he is. 
The more you gaze upon the glory of Jesus, the more you see what humanity was always meant to be, the more you see his beauty and his goodness and his mercy and his kindness to people, his never-ending source of forgiveness for people, his love that has no bounds. When you catch a gaze of who Jesus is, you realize all the more who we are not. Does that make sense? When we see his light, our darkness is all the more exposed. For the most part, we don't know what's involved in our darkness. There's so much there that we don't even see. And even when we do know better, even when we do see it, it seems like we can't break those old patterns of sin. Can anybody relate to that? Even the stuff that you can see coming, you can't avoid. It's like a pothole in the ground, in the road. You watch it in the car and you're driving, you just, you'd run over it. You gotta look away from the pothole, right, to miss it. Even when we see it coming, we can't miss it. Paul says, the law of sin dwells in my members. It's like cut into the bones. We can't shake it. There's nothing we can do. So Paul argues all the more, how much more obvious is it that we need God's help? If it's in our bones, and even when we know better, we can't avoid it, man, we're, we're in like a world of trouble. We need help. And he's really clear. And folks, as modern people who are really, really smart, listen up. It is not a matter of getting the right Christian information into your head. That's helpful. It's wonderful. Catechesis is valuable. We need that. certainly part of it. But so many of you, you know better. I know better. I got a seminary degree, and I still sin. Go figure. It's not a matter of getting the right information into our head or... Or here's another one, maybe you can relate to this, or just trying harder spiritually. Man, if I just, if I just really locked in that prayer rhythm in my life, you know what would happen? Things would like change. I'd be free of sin. It, it's a good thing, prayer, disciplines. I'm not, saying, I'm not knocking any of that stuff. What I am saying, though, is that none of that effort, none of that work is actually going to make an effect, an outcome on the fact that you sin day in and day out that you are plagued, as Paul says, by sin in your members. So track with me here. Knowing the Torah, the law, only shines more light on our sinfulness, showing us just how deeply we've missed the mark. That's what knowing about the Torah does. It doesn't make us better people, actually. It just shows us like, how impoverished we really are. And even this, Paul says, I delight in the law. Delighting in the law doesn't cut it either. Because our bodies are held captive by sin. They lay claim to us in ways that we can't even see. Man, do you all see how tough of a spot we're really in? You see that, anybody? I see it, my goodness. What are we supposed to do, people? What are we supposed to do if knowing the law, the good ways of God, and delighting in the good ways of God, showing up to church on Sunday, praying, doing all the activity, I've even got a bumper sticker on my car, Sean. That's not going to cut it. I wear my res t-shirt. Not good enough. What are we going to do, people? We are helpless to save ourselves. Exactly, Paul says. Exactly. You are helpless. Even your activity makes it worse. Your efforts. Exactly. Paul says, what a wretched man am I.
What a wretched man am I. I know some of you are thinking, geez, Sean, what a downer sermon. This is like your worst. Well, preaching isn't to make you feel better. Let's be frank about that. If we're not preaching the scriptures and we're not opening up the gospel and declaring that, then I should just sit down. Let's just get on with our lives. Like that's a total waste of time. But if preaching, if our activity here this morning, not just preaching, but the entirety of our worship is to come in such a view of who the righteous one is, who God is, how he's been revealed to us for our sake in his son, Jesus. That's gonna make us feel uncomfortable at times. We're gonna see the difference between us and the Lord. We may even come to a place where we see the goodness of God and say, what a wretched man am I? What a wretched woman am I? Who will rescue me from this body of death? If we can't save ourselves, who can? It's going to take a lot more than amazing preaching. It's going to take more than like spiritual direction and coaching. Again, that stuff's wonderful, but that comes later. We need rescuing now. It's going to take more than making sure that our worship band does like the songs that just really dial in that emotional high for us in worship. And we're like jamming today. Tomorrow's going to change because Nathan, he hooked it up for me today. And he often does. I'm not saying that. He does. But that's not going to cut it, folks. We need a rescue beyond our reach, beyond our abilities. We need a rescue, in fact, despite us. That's how bad things have gotten. In fact, we need a rescue so desperately. Folks, I'm not sure we even realize oftentimes how desperate we need a rescue. It's so easy for us. Can I just make this like argumentative point? Maybe I can persuade you a little bit because I am even pushing back on myself. Like, really, are we that bad? We look out in the world to read the headlines and we're so good. We're like pros. Someone should pay us for critiquing the wrongs that are going on in the world, right? I watch you guys on Facebook. You're good from every possible angle. You guys critique the world. You know exactly what's wrong with your neighbor and what's broken in the world. And yet when we turn inward and look at our own brokenness, we find better things to do. We don't want to look on that and dwell on it too long. Man, that's going to be uncomfortable. We are in such need of rescue. We are the broken ones. We are the problems. Who is going to rescue us from this body of death? And Paul at the end of the chapter here says, well, you're going to have to wait until next week when Sean preaches on Romans 8. No, he doesn't say that. Almost playfully, Paul jumps to the gun. He just cuts to the chase. He can't help himself. The more he's kind of exposed this rotten core of our lives and emptied out uh, all of the other things that shouldn't really be there, we have this cavity in our lives and go, yeah, we're messed up. Who's going to save us? Paul almost can't help himself. And like a child playfully says, thank God. Thank God. Because he has rescued us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God. You have to understand what Paul's doing here in Romans 7 isn't just trying to make us feel like totally worthless and beyond repair and without value. It's to show us our great need of help. And I'm just, to pair this with the thoughts we've had about, man, we, are, we got some problems. I don't want you walking away thinking, I'm worthless. Those are two different things. And in fact, 
If you think you are of less value, I would say to you, there has not been more valuable a thing spent on your life than the body and blood of Jesus. How valuable and full of worth you are in the eyes of God. How much more when you live in brokenness and sin are you in need of rescue? Don't come up to me and say, oh, don't say, oh, Sean, all I heard you say was we're just a pile of worthless folks. That's not true. And in fact, to say that would to be to take away from Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for you. That's how full of worth you are to him. Friends, this is the beginning of the Christian life to realize in chapter 7, like chapter 7 gives to us, that we are such desperate people for repair, for rescue, for forgiveness of sins. Romans 7 should be for us. As we're jamming along in Romans, we get to Romans 7, and there should be this kind of stop sign for us, like, oh, this is wonderful news, what Paul's writing. But to come to grips with it, we've actually got to look in our inner life and see that we've got serious sin, things we didn't even know about, blind spots, patterns that we just can't shake. And when we take seriously our own lives, they're so easily filled with death, we begin to realize just how unfathomable it is, God's saving love for us. Just how incredible it is that God wouldn't send some other poor schmuck to come save us, but he himself would come to our rescue in his son, Jesus that we would be forgiven, not of the things alone that we know about, or even the things that, uh, that maybe, like we delight in the law and, and we're trying Jesus. Yes, he forgives those things, but Jesus forgives the things that we don't even realize we're doing wrong. That's incredible. Stuff that we don't even have the, the awareness to confess, Jesus forgives. He's atoned for, he's paid for. What an incredible saving love of God that he would shed his own blood for us, for all of that. And even the stuff you're gonna do tomorrow that you don't even realize you're gonna do tomorrow, Jesus has made a way for you, even in that sin, to be forgiven. This is the beginning of the Christian life, folks. Not happy-go-lucky, um, isn't Jesus wonderful? Yes, that's part of it. But the more you gaze upon Jesus, the more you realize your desperate need of him. And here we are. Realizing our desperate need of him, what's next, John? What do we do? So we see just how broken things are. What do we do? We repent. And this is in your court, actually. This is something you can help. You get to decide, am I going to turn from the ways that I've lived in for so long that I know are just full of death? Or in light of Jesus, am I going to turn to him and say, no more, Jesus. I, I want to follow you. I want to turn my life over to you. I want to turn every aspect of my life over to you. Folks, this is radical conversion. When I talk to a whole bunch of Americans in Texas and suggest things like, hey, you need to turn over everything of your life to Jesus's lordship and control. Can I just like tell you how radical that is? You're not independent when you're under a Lord. You don't get to say what's good for you and for others when someone else is in charge. What you think about gun laws or something, it kind of doesn't matter anymore in the hands of Jesus. You consult him first. You scour the scriptures for what he thinks. 
what you think about sexuality, money, the way you spend your time, the hobbies you have. Every aspect of our life is radically converted to the righteous one, this glorious one who shows to us once and for all what humanity was always supposed to be, what it can be when we join in him. This is what's crazy about the idea of Christ in us. It's not something we just watch, but when we come to the table, we literally consume the body and blood of Jesus. His humanity, his divinity, we consume. And with him in us, our life begins to change. Apart from him, who will save us from this body of death? But when Christ is in us, redemption is at hand. The kingdom of God begins to unfold. Amen? You all see that? That's incredible. He's the one who will deliver us from our bodies of death. With his body of life, the Messiah, the Redeemer of Israel, Jesus, the one who comes to reign as Lord, he, he's the one who will keep watch over your life of contradictions and conflicts and temptations. He's the one who will set you free finally, not to live in fear, not to live enslaved to sin, but set free to obey God, to pursue righteousness, to live holy lives with all of your heart and all of your mind, every aspect of your life. And though temptation persists and is right there on the back porch for us every time, it doesn't go very far. Though it's right there and our carnal desires exist within us, Augustine writes, the person who is renewed by grace no longer serves the way of sin. You're free from that tyranny of sin. By the grace of God, you're set free to live holy lives. Thank God. So we pray this morning, you may have heard it in our collect, for God to grant us the grace of his Holy Spirit. Listen to this, that we may be devoted to him with our whole heart. How? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Can we take a moment of silence to reflect on the ways that the Spirit is speaking to us and those dark blind spots in our lives that the light of Christ is exposing to us. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.